Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today the lovely Rena Van Alst. Hi, Rena. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. It is a special time of the year for me. I have just had a birthday and uh, the week this goes to air, uh, it'll be a bit of, I'm in the middle of a birthday festival. Let's say that. Oh, <laughs> I suppose it's not a big one, is it? It's just a regular one. <laughs> uh, they're all big these days, Rena. <laughs> They're all big. Yeah, I think after you hit 30, everything's big, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. And everything should be celebrated. Uh, so a few events this week, uh, which I'm looking forward to, and we shall all be enjoying ourselves. What have you been yeah. up to? Uh, nothing much, just the usual, Amanda. Um, actually, Veronica Morgan, who we did a podcast together this week, she's actually started her own podcast called The Elephant in the Room. Mm-hmm. It's available on iTunes and um, – this week I'll actually be going there to record an episode. So, yeah, um, yeah and I believe that you'll be also, Amanda. I will be there, yeah. I'm not sure if we're in on the same week or the same day, but, um, yeah, I'm really excited. I have listened to a few of the, her episodes already with Chris Bates yeah. and they have fabulous guests and uh, highly recommended podcast to anyone with an interest in property. Yeah, definitely. Mm, and tune in for Rena and me. We're coming up. Yes, again. <laughs> <laughs> you can't avoid us. Oh, We're no. everywhere. <laughs> not, not those two again. <laughs> <laughs> Do you meet people at conferences now, Rena, and they say, you are everywhere. You're on my LinkedIn. You're in my inbox. You're in my ears. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, when I say, I don't think you're friends. They go, we listen to you all the time. So they don't feel like they haven't sort of like seen me because they've said they right. really listen to you. So that's right. Yeah, it's nice. You're best friends and you've never met. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the wonders of technology. I do love it. Exactly. All right, let's jump in. What has been your challenge this week, Rena? Um, in one of my schemes, I actually had a apartment that was above the apartment that was actually damaged, there was a washing machine that had flooded. So I think the occupants left the apartment for the whole day. They put the washing machine on. And then I think in the evening when they returned, it had leaked and flooded the apartment below to the effect that the corridors in the building had, you know, water penetration and then the apartment below was severely damaged to the point that the magnesite in the concrete had gotten wet and they actually had to remove the magnesite because it obviously caused damage. And the apartment had to be vacated because, I mean, it was rented out anyway and the tenants apparently were leaving just fortuitously in the next few weeks. So it wasn't as if, I mean, that was already planned. And the strata committee obviously needed more information about, you know, why the owners corporation was basically being asked to pay for this through its insurance policy. And I think that a lot of people don't understand the concept that if there's any damage to common property, it doesn't matter how it's caused. It could be caused by an appliance that is not a fixture in this case, but any resulting damage to common property and any loss of rent that that owner suffers has to be paid for by the owner's corporation through its insurance policy. The other thing that sort of added a bit of fuel to this fire was the fact that the fixtures that were damaged also had included items that the owner had undertaken renovations and not told the owner's corporation about it. So Mm -hmm. there's a bit of delays in that case, but 
Apart from that, I think it's just a reminder to owners and managers that when con property is damaged, it doesn't really matter how what the cause is, that the resulting damage, if it's due to an insurable event, in this case it was, it was accidental damage that occurred where the, you know, I think the, the hose came out of the tap and then it flooded everything. So, yeah, and so it took quite some time. And at the time, you know, the, the broker's saying, you know, like the loss of rent's growing and if we don't get approval to proceed, then, mm. you know, this corporation could be held to account. So, anyway, finally that the approval was given to proceed. But, again, just a reminder, Amanda, that, you know, it doesn't matter what happens mm. as cause that the resulting damage has to be put through the Arts Corporation's insurance policy if it is an insurable event. Yes, and it's going to be an insurable event, as you say, Rena, if it is accidental damage. And I think yes. that's the key there. This isn't something that the tenants set about to do. It wasn't no. intentional. It wasn't through their... Um, it wasn't like a water leak that had been left to fester for, for years and years. And, yeah, and that or if damage. it had been an owner doing renovation yeah. work, for example, yeah. and had penetrated a waterproof membrane in the course of doing that, then, of course, that's something that the owner's corporation may then seek recourse against that owner and recover some of their loss. Uh, again, if the event wasn't insurable and there was some loss, of course, then that would be a different story. But accidental damage, I think, is the is the key to remember. Yes, Exactly right. Hmm. All right. Thanks for sharing that, Rena. My challenge for this week relates to bylaws and I am seeing more and more template bylaws attempting to deal with minor works and also major works, interestingly enough. I'm not sure if you're seeing these, Rena, but I did have uh, some clients come and see me a few weeks ago and it wasn't the first time that I'd seen these templates. And I, I know they are templates because I've seen them floating around with a few different buildings. Oh, the blanket bylaws. <laughs> yeah, the, bl- the blanket bylaws, the global bylaws. Uh, yep. And what it is, just to particularise that a bit more, it's a single bylaw that attempts to deal with all work ever done, ever proposed to be done, in a strata building and to approve it or at the very least provide a process for the strata committee to approve it. And I have um, significant discomfort when I see these bylaws and I'll give an example. The bylaw I was looking at a couple of weeks ago attempted to approve all past minor renovation works and it did specify what minor renovation works were borrowing from section 110 of the act so installation of air conditioning kitchen renovations hard flooring it added a few things in there I think maybe uh, exhaust fans and some things that are not particularized in section 1110 but it proposed to uh, approve all past works if they had been done it proposed a regime where anyone wanting to do those works in future could apply to the strata committee for approval. And it shifted responsibility for the repair and maintenance of the common property affected by those works over to lot owners. And my discomfort around that arose from the fact that I knew that this building was not seeking consent forms from lot owners who would then be taking up that responsibility Mm. to repair and maintain the common property. And I accept that section 110 expressly says that the requirement for specific bylaws and the requirement for consent, which is in section 108, does not apply to minor works. But where you have a bylaw that is globally approving 
all past minor renovation works and shifting responsibility over to lot owners for affected common property. How are you to know if you're an owner, whether any of that work has been done in your lot, whether it applies to you, whether you are now taking on responsibility for something like uh, an air conditioning unit that might have gone in 15 years ago and might explode in two weeks' time or uh, might blow out the power. And the templates that I'm seeing have very broad indemnity clauses included where the lot owner is taking full responsibility and completely indemnifying the owner's corporation. And when I'm advising lot owners who are looking at these bylaws to say, what in the world does all this mean? I say to them, how can you possibly vote in favour of this? Mm. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think the 110 amount deals with minor works and it deals with just a general resolution at a general meaning. It doesn't deal with bylaws yes. per se, which is what 108 deals with, as you were saying. Mm. But um. Does it actually reference the lots, the actual work that was done? No, it does not. And uh, that is something that uh, I always raise with clients who come to me to ask for global works bylaws, particularly where they are attempting to approve past works. I say, Mm. that's fine. We can do that. But we need to specify the work that has been done and where it has been done because you are about to shift responsibility for the common property over to the lot owner and in my view, to avoid the bylaw being harsh, unconscionable or oppressive, you should be getting the written consent of the lot owner to agree to take on that quite onerous responsibility. So I can see these bylaws being challenged in the future where they are globally approving past works, they are not getting consent from owners. I can see them being challenged on the grounds that they are harsh, unconscionable or oppressive. We now have that ability to challenge bylaws in New South Wales on those grounds. But even more concerning, what I saw a couple of weeks ago with these clients who came to see me was that there was a global bylaw for major works as well. So, Amanda, just for like ones that had already been completed or ones like prospective work that was going to be done? Um, The bylaw was a bit confused about that because it did have a clause. It did actually surprisingly have a clause in it that said to the extent any major works have already been completed as at the date this bylaw is registered, then this bylaw applies to those works. And I thought, how could you do that where you are not, once again, seeking consent, written consent forms? This is definitely the type of work that Section 108 would apply to, so altering the common property. And Section 108 says that you do need a specific bylaw, which details exactly the work that's been done, and you do need a consent form. The bylaw did make some reference to the fact that if the strata committee determines in its discretion that this type of work requires its own bylaw, you may be required to submit your own separate bylaw. And I thought, yeah, but how can yeah. the committee decide that? Um, on what, what's the criteria or the legal basis for them to decide what would be covered under this major works bylaw mm-hmm. and then what wouldn't be covered and needed a separate bylaw, Amanda? Yep, absolutely. Having that discretion rest in the committee was bizarre to me, especially when our legislation is quite clear about about uh, needing specific bylaws where major works are going to be done that alter or affect the common property and for those bylaws having to detail the work and having to include the written consent of the owner who's taking on the benefit and the burden, if you like, of the bylaw. So I think they're dangerous. I'm sure they're floating around with many managers and many buildings and this one that I was dealing with a couple of weeks ago was put to my clients on the basis that, oh, this is relevant to the new law, this is just a standard, everybody's doing this. So was this bylaw drafted by a lawyer, Amanda? I suspect it was. 
Yeah, it's a bit concerning when it's one thing for committees who are ignorant about the law and need guidance, but when lawyers are actually producing these types of bylaws where not even the works that were done previously, you don't even know like anything that was done has been covered. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just a broad brush statement. Yeah. And I think it comes from um, pressure perhaps from owners, from buildings. I've seen a little bit in the media lately in some commentators on strata law who criticise lawyers for the amount they charge for drafting bespoke bylaws and saying, Mm. well, hang on, don't you do a thousand of these? Can't we just have a template that we can use Mm. just to cover all work forevermore? And I think what's happening is some lawyers are saying, oh, okay, well, here you go. Here's the template. And I don't know, maybe that's being handed over with some kind of disclaimer that, you know, this may not be appropriate or this may not apply to you. I I don't know what advice is being given. Maybe they have been advised to go and get consent forms from every owner for this kind of work. I don't know. I only see the the result when the, the lot owner or the strata manager comes to me. But there is a reason why lawyers do charge for drafting bylaws. It's for the time that is spent thinking about exactly the work that's going to be done, how it's going to be done, how the responsibility is going to be shifted. And one piece of work is not always the same as another. It might seem like that to the untrained or uh, inexperienced, but I think it is dangerous. There is a place for templates, uh, but when we're dealing with works, renovation works, different levels of work, past work, future work, Shifting responsibility for common property, we have to be very, very careful about templates. Yeah, and I think as I've said previously, everything is fine until there's a problem and there's a dispute and someone's querying a decision or a bottle that was passed and, you know, owners aren't happy with work that's been done um, by a person who had a bottle perhaps and it's always when um, there's disagreement and in future proceedings that all these things come to light. Yep, definitely. Okay, let's move over to your win for this week. Well, um, this is actually from a community association that I used to manage and um, which I've still been assisting some of the owners, Amanda, where a a lot owner um, had submitted an application and that person was the chairperson and they were wanting to do some renovations to their community lot, which included windows being moved. And in this particular community association, they have a community management statement and it also as part of that statement, it references the architectural and landscape standards. And in the standards, obviously, it describes what can and can't be done because obviously you need to maintain the architectural theme of the development. And, of course, in this case, this person who had submitted the application, you know, he was the chairperson. He then stood down and then, in a sense, to provide some sort of distance there. The committee, of course, approved the application and then the, the owner on the adjoining lot took it to NCAT and basically through a lot of hard work and effort and getting lots of reports, she was successful in gaining approval for that application not to proceed. I will talk about this in another episode because there's now there's been further outcomes in terms of the application where he was stopped initially, but now he's actually doing work. But I'll talk about it. So it's a win for this time because she was successful in stopping his application which had been approved by the executive committee of that community association, erroneously approved. And there is a provision in the CMS that if there's any dispute about architectural landscapes and their interpretation, which is very hard because, I mean, a lot of people don't really understand, you know, necessarily everything that they're reading when it comes to architectural requirements, that the community should actually appoint an independent architect to give a final ruling on that application and that would be binding, and and then it could be then taken to I think the Society of Architects or whatever. But mm-hmm. 
in the first instance, Amanda, they didn't do that. Um, they actually just approved it, even though there was an owner who said, I don't agree with the interpretation of this application, and, and she wanted NCAT. So, mm. But I'll talk – now there's been – since I actually had put this down, there's been more um, advice about the application, so I'll, I'll give you more information as it comes to hand. In, in oh, a interesting. So yeah. she was an owner in a Strata Scheme subsidiary or she's got a CA lot? CA lot, side by okay. side, two houses side by side. Okay. Because I do see um, it does become more complicated dealing with community associations where you might have a strata scheme within the community association. Yeah. Somebody wants to do work. They need their work approved by both their owner's corporation and the CA. The owner's corporation might approve it. The CA might not or vice versa. Yeah. And those kinds of situations can become a little tricky to navigate. So it sounds like this one was maybe a little bit more straightforward with um, – Well, theoretically straightforward, yes. Theoretically straightforward, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I should take nothing away from that lot owner and her her hard work and uh, great success. Yes. Yep. Okay. Well, my win for this week relates to the installation of child safety netting around a balcony. Now, Rena, you'll remember, uh, and those who attended, we had Kathy Sherry at YSP Live, mm. our event back in April, and she was very much involved a few years ago in some research around the dangers of children on balconies in strata apartments and the catastrophic injuries that can be suffered uh, when children fall. And we did have a phase there where there was a lot of attention placed on this and alarmingly a number of reports of children falling from balconies a few years ago. And her research resulted in a product being brought to market, which is NetZen, N-E-T-Z-E-N, safety netting, which is produced by a company called Safety Nets for Life. And uh, Kathy actually brought this company to my attention. And a client of mine has recently had their netting for their seventh floor balcony approved by their strata committee and I assisted with the drafting of a bylaw for that netting and the strata committee has given their, let's say, in principle approval to the nets going in because they've been happy with the terms of the bylaw and the bylaw is going to be considered and we assume resolved with the support of the strata committee at the next general meeting. Now, this was one of the first bylaws that I drafted relevant specifically to child safety netting, and it is a bylaw that I am now going to make available on my website, on the Your Strata Property website, as a template that you can download if you want to have a look at it. That's great. You can head over to yourstratapropertycomau forward slash templates, and you'll see there's a number of bylaw templates there, and we now have child safety netting added to the list. And, of course, if you're a member inside the YSP online community, that template is free for you. So a big win this week. I was very happy with that result and a very sensible building, understanding the dangers of children not being properly protected in their strata schemes. And uh, I think perhaps safety netting, as Cathy said at YSP Live, is the new window locks issue yeah, that we might see. Yeah, I think so, Amanda, yeah. I mean, I suppose – this would probably apply more for apartments where the value rates are much lower than they should be. Mm. Which a number of our older buildings, of course, in Sydney exactly. are just simply not compliant. Yeah. Yeah, it's more of a need. Um, and perhaps maybe some buildings might want to add these to their general meanings in any event coming up so that 
owners don't have to sort of, you know, do it every time and that's one more box that's been ticked off the um, safety list for buildings. Yeah, absolutely. And just going back to our discussion about bylaws and the, and the challenge that I shared this week and template bylaws, uh, I think this is a good example perhaps of where a template can be used. <laughs> <laughs> just <Exactly>. a caveat. <laughs> uh, where, of course, you're, um, you're dealing with a specific issue and a specific installation yeah. with um, detailed guidelines and requirements set out in the bylaw for what type of netting and how it's to be installed and things like that. So, yeah, the colour, etc. Yeah, yeah, all of that stuff. Okay, so um, yeah, happy to share that win and uh, another happy family living in Strata oh, safely. That's wonderful <laughs> news, Amanda. <laughs> Thanks so much for today, Rena. Anything to add? No, all good. Thank you so much. I think it was actually quite a good one. I, I like that netting bylaw idea. It was a good one. Yeah, we are the good and the bad. The good, bad, ugly and noisy. Should we? <laughs> Is that <laughs> going to be our new Strata tagline? We get it all. We get all types. Exactly. <laughs> I'll catch you next time. Bye, Amanda. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? today?